72% of entrepreneurs are struggling with mental health. Most don't ask for help. Today is the day we change that. Today is the day we prioritize and destigmatize mental health. We are entrepreneurs, visionaries, high achievers, change makers. We defy the odds every single day. We dream the biggest dreams. We fail and fall flat on our faces. We get up and try harder. We believe in our ideas even when everyone around us doubts them. We are driven to find the solutions to the world's biggest problems. We speak because our voice matters. We show up because we make a difference. We share our most vulnerable stories because we know someone can finally find the courage to share theirs. And in our collective sharing, we rise, we heal, and we embody brave visibility. Thank you so much for showing up to this episode of the Brave Visibility Podcast. Today we have on Lisa Velasquez. She is the ladypreneur behind Lisa Talks Love, a boutique love style coaching company. And for over 10 years, she has been the woman's entrepreneur's go-to expert on sex, dating, and relationships through teaching them how to create emotional freedom within her transformational private and group coaching love programs to guide them to unravel your heartbreaks, to rewrite their love story. Lisa attended Teachers College, Columbia University for master's in clinical psychology. Lisa is a certified sex therapist, certified sex educator, and certified facilitator of preventing adolescent pregnancies. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. I'm super excited to have this conversation. You're one of our first guests that we um, have had that is going to be talking a bit about relationships and love and that connection when it comes to mental health. So super excited to have you here. Thank you for coming on today. Um, So I definitely know a lot about you. We spent hours talking to each other, so I feel we're pretty close. We're basically besties now. Um, And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about your backstory and how you, you know, you studied psychology and how it kind of shifted into more the love and sex and relationships and how how you feel that all kind of connects with, with being a mental health practitioner. Wonderful. First and foremost, thank you so much for inviting me to be on this podcast, Kimra. I'm honored to be here and I'm excited to connect with you again. And yes, we're like besties. We talked a lot (laughs) when we first met over the phone, right? It was like 45 minutes that turned into two hours. And, you know, we just have a synergy and I really love what you're doing, supporting, you know, entrepreneurs um, with support systems for mental health, resources, you know, strategies, how they can connect to really support themselves to get in the best, you know, emotional space. And I will share a little bit about my journey. It's very long, so I'm going to tap into how I even began. So it's funny because it all really started when I was 15 years old and I was in a peer leadership group in high school and I was with one of my cousins. I'm Latina, I'm Puerto Rican. I have a lot of cousins that I went to school with. And one of my cousins who was the same age as me, we were talking about sex and virginity. And I do remember saying, I don't get it. You know, why do we save themselves for us? Like, why do we save ourselves for them? They don't save themselves for us. Hmm. And why should I let someone else determine my value based on something that they get to go do whenever they want, 
But if I do it, my values diminish, but that yet they're still seen as valuable. So that was the catalyst that had me looking at, you know, how women are valued, how we're seen in our relationships. And I noticed that there was a deep inequality. Fast forward to college, um, I had so many young women coming up to me when I was a college student asking me for sex advice. Now, I wasn't like this sex guru back then. I'm very clear about that. But what I was was this compassionate nurturer, you know, um, like a very strong sister figure, someone that really supported women's empowerment. And I was a safe space to talk to about anything, anything love related, anything relationships related, anything sex related. And that was like that as a kid too, but like a younger kid. I don't know. That's just my nature. But what I recognized was that when they were coming to me to get sex tips, sex advice, you know, to be better at sex or better in bed or more of exciting, an exciting partner, I recognized that that really wasn't the underlying issue. The underlying issue was you need to figure out how you can show up empowered in your relationship because mm-hmm. the stories you're telling me, you're risking getting pregnant because the stories got deeper than just sex tips. They're risking getting pregnant. They're risking getting an STD. They're having issues negotiating condom use Mm -hmm. in the relationship. So this is where I noticed that, wow, there is so much disempowerment when it comes to negotiating safer sex practices with all of us who are engaging in adult behaviors because sex is an adult behavior. And they're giving up their rights. They're choosing to have inequality, not because they want to be unequal to their partner, but they deserve to be valued for who they are in relationships. The partner deserves to be valued and they deserve to be valued. There needs to be reciprocity in the relationship. So I really got curious to know where did these ideas come from where these women, these young women, were choosing to be in disempowered relationships to keep their partners. Mm. You know, so growing up Latina, I will say we are taught you know, that, you know, you are the sole creator of your relationship. You are the decider whether it's successful or not. The success of it is put on you. And that's, you know, in many, in many families, when you're dealing with gender role behavior, specifically speaking to women. Now, this is put on women across the board, but I'm sharing my journey. And I'm very clear that growing up Latina, there is that pressure for us to deliver the success of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to be the person that provides that, you know, really holds it up for the most, you know? And so my mission at the time was like, oh no, we don't need to be in these disempowered relationships. You get to speak up for yourself. And at the time, overall, I was contemplating going to grad school to become a sex therapist. And at the time, my major was legal studies. My bachelor's degree is in legal studies. And I went to a public university. I went to John Jay College of Criminal Justice. So I was, you know, advocating, speaking up, you know, in politics and college at the time, but I realized I wanted to work with people and I had a real passion and a love for working with women and empowering them within their sexuality, within their relationships, reconnecting them to their self-value. I didn't know it was called that yet. That happened a lot, much later. Um, So at the time afterwards, I was like, you know what? I'm going to become a sex therapist and and create a new way that people can communicate empowered in their relationships. I wanted to focus on positive sexuality and I really Mm -hmm. wanted people to feel good about themselves when they speak up, when they show up, when they're present, when they're intimate with their partners. So it was very clear that I wanted it to be the whole person. It wasn't, uh, you know, females against males kind of thing. It was how can we come together and have relationship equality and how can women show up empowered in their relationships? Because my clients across the board are 
all types of women, women of color, Caucasian women, mm-hmm. Latina women. And we, as women, we do struggle with this. And as mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, there's a deeper struggle. And we'll get into yes. that a little bit later um, because there's the persona of the empowered woman and the empowered entrepreneur, but we show up completely different a lot of the time in our intimate relationships. And we'll get into mm-hmm. what those patterns look like a little bit later. Yeah. But in my journey, just recognizing that that's what I wanted to do. Um, eventually, I got the degree, and I will show this. Um, I come from a public school background, so going to an Ivy League school was a, a challenge in a sense that I a challenge I wanted to take on. It was new territory, and I was really excited about it. But I learned about so much oppression and misogyny in that system, and even in the system with the way psychology is taught. Mm. And so that's a really big piece. And what I noticed that wasn't being looked at, which really irritated the crap out of me because, you know, I have a clinical background in clinical psychology. So they're always talking about, you know, the symptoms and the pathology, but nobody wants to look at what's literally written in the text, the social background. Mm -hmm. You're going to tell me someone has bulimia or anorexia and you're going to tell me the symptoms and you're going to tell me how long they've had it and you're going to put them in therapy and you're going to diagnose them with depression. Are we ever going to talk about their social backgrounds? Are we going to talk mm. about what happened in their family? Are we going to talk about how they lost a sibling and the parents became overprotective? So the little girl became an overeater because she was trying to control one aspect of her life because mm. her whole family was trying to control everything else. So yeah. there's different things that I noticed people were not looking at at all. And the other piece is cultural competency. There was a whole course, there's a whole section on this at Columbia University that they focus on with cultural competency. And me being a woman of color, I saw the value in this, but a lot of people didn't get it and wanted to they would complain that we keep talking about this. But what I recognize is that if we ignore the need for cultural competency, competency in therapy, if you are trying to be a therapist, if you're studying to be a therapist, you miss the boat. Mm. You miss the whole point of understanding how to serve your clients. You don't know what background your clients are going to come from. Don't you want to best serve them by knowing how to understand them best with these methodologies you're bringing into therapy? Not Mm -hmm. every therapy is going to work for them. Yeah. Understand them. So my deep thing is how can I understand you on an intuitive level, on a cultural level, and on a human level? So thing on that is really how I got here. Um, And I will say most of all, to wrap it up a little bit more, I want to add this is that as a clinician, finishing, you know, um, school, getting, going to do my certification in sex therapy and in sex ed and facilitating, I experienced a really traumatic heartbreak of my own right Mm. at the cusp of finishing school. Mm. And I literally like physically shut down because, you know, as an entrepreneur and you know, when we're high, high performance women, high achieving women, we tend to just like, I got to keep going. I got to hit the deadline. I got to hit the goal. And that was happening for me. Mm. So the pain I was going through was trapped inside my body mm-hmm. for a long time. And I was very unhealthy, um, doing my best to let go of weight and then recognizing where I allowed someone to cross my boundaries without even knowing because I was so busy. I was yeah. so busy getting stuff done. I was so busy, high performing. And at the time I was in grad school and I was working at a full-time job. Um, I was a program director for a high school in the Bronx, a teen pregnancy prevention program with six different schools. So think about it. I'm managing a program in six different schools. I'm counseling over 30 kids and teaching workshops. So I have people counting on me. Plus I'm in school at night. 
So, <laughs> so this was my whole life. And I'm like, oh, wow, the person I thought that was going to be my all, my love, you know, it ended up not working out. And it really deeply hurt me. And in a way yeah. that had me shut down, you know, really, really shut down. And I remember that, you know, it was a lot of ghosting and gaslighting things I never thought this person would do because we had a vision, but apparently I was the only one that was honoring that vision. Mm. And see that a lot, right? We're committed women. We're in the vision. We're doing our thing. But then we recognize, wait a second, like I'm the only one holding this vision up. Why am I holding this vision up by myself? Because I'm capable and powerful. Why are you not stepping in as my partner? And when did I miss this? When Mm -hmm. did I miss what? When did I not catch you? Yeah. What's going on? And I think that this is such an important topic because I think, I mean, because you have such an extensive background and we have so many places where we can really dive in. So thank you for sharing. We have so many places we could go. But I think just this topic of, you know, like really powerful women, because I know a lot of really powerful women are listening to this podcast. Um, Sometimes it can be really hard when we are working and doing so much stuff to even see that we ourselves are creating a really toxic type of pattern or that our partner is creating a toxic pattern because the relationship breaks down over time, right? It doesn't just like, Oh, it just happens all of a sudden. It's like, it's usually an overtime sort of thing. So do you have any tips for women who maybe they are kind of, they're in that hustle, they're in the grind that happens. That's how a lot of us are, Um, you know, raising kids and all sorts of things, even going to school and doing all sorts of stuff, you know, is there a way maybe that we can start recognizing when we're creating a toxic love pattern or if our partner is creating that with us? Is there any like tips you have or maybe a few steps that people could do to kind of identify what those patterns would look like? Oh, absolutely. I mean, girl, I got so much of that I can give out today. <laughs> well, let's try three, yeah. let's try three, three. specific things. Yeah, and see so, how it goes. Well, I want to check in with first because yeah. before we can ever go into the pathology and why this is even happening, mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't even, let's, I'll even say the pattern, not even the pathology because they're not diseased. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a pattern that you're not aware of. But the yeah. first thing I would do is I always look into my three love core principles. Okay. And it's funny because they actually are my tagline. And that's because I like okay. to remember the things I teach. Um, okay. You know, so get real, get clear and get ready. So right. number Got three, it. number one is get real. So get real is when you take a step back and you actually look at the reality of your love life. Okay. Mm. The present, what is happening right now? Are you single and dating, single and not dating? Are you divorced, which still means you're single, so people forget that. You're divorced, you're single. If you Are you in a relationship? Are you married? Okay, now that's the reality. Now, how do you feel about that relationship? Are you feeling good about yourself when that, in that relationship? Are you feeling good when you're with them? Are you feeling good when you're interacting with them in public? Are you feeling good when you're interacting with them in private? Or is it one way in public and another way in private, right? So a lot of the time you'll, I I say this with high achieving women, you'll have this partner where you look amazing on Instagram, or you'll have the partner where you're amazing at the event together. But when you get home, it is an emotional nightmare, right? It can be a physical nightmare. So Mm -hmm. you got to look and what's going on. And even if you're not in a relationship, what if you're, you're talking up this person that you're with? because it could be a man or a woman, you're talking up the person you're with, and in actuality, they're just someone that texts you or FaceTimes you. You don't have a relationship. 
You haven't established something. There, there isn't like a set way you're going to connect. So you want to look at where you are feeding things you don't want to have. And you want to look at why, right? Because you want to look at what you keep choosing to do. Yeah. And you got to look at who you keep choosing to do it with. Yeah. And it's very, very important to tap into those things because okay. you get to look at why you're doing this consistently. Because what I want women to understand is that you actually have the power to take back, you know, everything that's not working in your life and you have the power to change it. And mm-hmm. I say that the first thing you need to do is take responsibility for your choices. Now, let me be very clear. This is not about blaming yourself for every single thing that's happened that someone else has done to you. This is about your ability to respond. That's mm-hmm. what responsibility is. Your ability to respond in a situation in a way that's proactive for your emotional, physical, and spiritual health. And sexual gotcha. Yes. And the second tip is get clear. Now in get clear, there are two pieces. So get clear is declare. What do you want? Let's be clear. You want a healthy relationship. You want to be married. You want to be an empowered dater, right? Because sometimes we're like, I really want to get out there, but I don't know how I feel. I don't feel that great about it. Or I'm ready to take this relationship to the next level. Or I'm ready to be in a relationship with someone that I'm dating. Or I want a healthier marriage, right? So mm-hmm. whatever that looks like for you, declare it. Be honest with yourself. Now, in order to have that, there's the second piece. You need to get clear emotionally. You need to start figuring out a way to declutter, to detox, to declutter, to detox, and to cleanse yourself of those unhealthy attachments, those emotions that you're feeling that have you connected to a toxic person or person that you know damn well is not right for you and you're mm. just... Because it could be a casual connection that may not feel toxic. It could just feel like light and fun, but you know it's a band-aid and you're just mm-hmm. doing it so you don't have to do the work to get to the next level. But you're like, I don't really like him. I'm not attached or I don't really like her. I just want to have some fun. But I'm like, but you just declared this. So why are you contradicting what you declared? Because a lot of the time we say we want something, but we show up for the opposite of that. Mm. So, you really need to get clear emotionally about what you want and clear out the space, clear it out. And second, the second piece of that is you need to physically clear the space. Mm-hmm. They cannot be in your love space. They can't be the man or woman that's occupying your life like a partner, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the time you think, oh, but they're here and they're cool. Like, but when are you going to be courageous and let them go and trust that what you want to show up in a partner, in a person that's new, is going to show up for you. Mm. And the sexual part, I'm going to add that, because it's not just them physically appearing. If you are exchanging and engaging in sexual behavior, you are creating like these spiritual, deep emotional ties and attachments. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to unbind those, to mm-hmm. untie them. And we have this idea that if we do that, we're going to be alone. No one's going to love us. We're not going to have intimacy. But I invite you to really look at what do you want? Do you want someone that's really going to see into you or you want someone that's going to be into you? Yeah. And those are two very, very different things. Someone who sees into you and bees into you. Love it. I'm going to have to write that down. Uh, okay. And then the next one is yes, get, get ready. Yes. Get, I love get ready. Um, get ready, girl. Get ready is all about making the choices that are aligned with the love you desire. And in English, <laughs> mm-hmm. so like uh, it's really about what are the lifestyle practices you're putting into place. 
Mm-hmm. When I work with women and do a program, we do something called becoming the author of your love life, right? Mm-hmm. People who want to declare and manifest, but like you're going to be the author of your love life and let's look what we're going to do. So I'm going to give you a tip from there. So mm-hmm. if you have the value of monogamy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your standard for monogamy is just going to be having sex with one person mm-hmm. in a relationship, right? You're going to be with that one particular person. That's the standard of how you practice monogamy. Or if you, you know, someone that says, I want to be in a relationship with you, a committed one, you and I, they're like, great, I want you to be my girlfriends. And you're like, awesome. But their way of living that value is by calling you their girlfriend, but being with a whole bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. And that's not your standard. Your standard is, I want to be someone's girlfriend or them be my partner. And the standard for that is loyalty and only being with them. So mm-hmm. your standard, your practice, because a standard is your practice, mm-hmm. you have to honor that. You, you say it, then you be it. Right. Yeah. You say it and then you be it. And you have to determine what that looks like. Because a lot of the time I'll even say with people who have kids, you know, you I'm um, you know, I want to be a mom, I want to be a dad, and you know, I want to be a hand, you know, um, and I really want to be present for my kids. And what does that look like as a standard? A hands-on parent, someone that's there emotionally, physically present, and is participating in this child's healthy upbringing. Mm-hmm. Versus Says I want to be a parent, and then you know someone has their baby, and they're like, you know, like, oh, that's my kid, and my wife does everything, while my girlfriend does everything. Um, you got to look at what the family value system is, because there are a lot of people, and I experience this with a lot of my clients, and when I talk to men about this, they recognize, oh my God, I don't want to be a hands-on dad. I kind of mm. just like like the idea, and I thought she would just do everything. I'm like, well, do you think she's gonna want to do that? And they're like, I don't think she is. I'm like, well, you need to have a talk with her about that, because you yeah. need to be on the same page if you're going to be raising kids together and yeah and it can work great in both ways i've seen relationships where there's one person who does the primary of the work and then the other person just goes out and works a job and brings in the money and they're completely happy that way but it needs to be a range to talk about so i love that you're talking about that yeah and what i would say is just because you provide money doesn't mean you can't provide nurturing when you get home yeah like, we all get to be responsible by the way we show up with people in our lives and our relationships. Mm-hmm. So providing money doesn't mean you don't provide love. Yeah. And it's just responsibilities. That Those are household responsibilities. Yeah. And I want people to get that children are not household responsibilities. Those are your family bonds. Mm-hmm. That's your legacy. Your children are your legacy. Yeah. And if you're raising kids with someone, you are contributing to that legacy. Yeah. Do you contribute in a low vibration self-absorbed way or do you want to be like the best nurturer that you can learn to be to support the growth of those children because it's also going to support you as a human being Mm -hmm. and your partner yes love it i love all of these the get real get clear get ready i really feel like these are really like the stepping stones to being able to know really just what you want out of a relationship, what a healthy relationship looks like to you so that you can go out there and talk with your partner about it. If you already have a partner or if you're dating, you can be very clear on like, these are what I expect when I'm in a relationship with a person. You know, I've even had people where I was dating where they were just like, just so you know, you know, I don't really do a lot of texting in the middle of the day because I'm super busy. So don't think that, you know, I'm not paying attention. 
because they have, they told me, oh, well, there was this one girl I dated. She thought I like hated her because, you know, I didn't text her back every five seconds. Oh my God. So I was, and he's just like, obviously, you know, she, you know, needed to work on something. So he's like, I'm just letting you know, I don't text a lot during the day. I'm super busy. I'm like editing videos all day. And I was like, great, good to know. And I think once you're clear on what you really want and even how you actually behave, so mm-hmm. you can actually let your partner know like, yo, you know, sometimes like if I'm really stressed, I really, sometimes I just, I don't really want to even talk for a little bit. I just want to take a bath first. And after my bath, then we can cuddle, you know, like just letting people know how you personally behave in a relationship and, and what your expectations are of them. That's going to help start that relationship being healthy. Right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I loved that the person you know, they have to come home and decompress by themselves in the bath. That's water is healing, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're very clear that they do want to connect with you. I think the biggest thing that I see my clients go through is they'll be dating a great guy until he's not great anymore. And what is not great is that he's showing up differently. Um, Mm -hmm. When he's going through something, he doesn't communicate with them. Yeah. Ghost. And I think that, you know, when a lot of men do that and a lot of partners do that in general, but I'm specifically talking about women that I know say that it's with the men they deal with. It's because they haven't been taught how to, you know, support themselves or get support for what's going on with them mentally. Um, and, but it still doesn't excuse the behavior when you're dating and you're trying to build something, because if you don't tell them, Hey, I'm going through stuff. And my client is like, well, that I understand that now, but I wish you would tell me so I can be there for you because you are there for me. But where are we going to go in this relationship if you're not telling me anything? Yeah. And, and there's deeper issues underneath that for men. They're just not, you know, they're not conditioned and not socialized and they're not nurtured in the way that women are. But yeah. you have to keep having those conversations that everyone needs to let people know how they need to uh, decompress mm-hmm. and what they need to do first to check in with themselves. And looking at it as a, as a strength, you know, I think it's a strength when people share that. Yeah. And I've been pretty blessed that, you know, my boyfriend, he's very open about the way like he needs to decompress. Like he'll just tell me like, you know, like this happened at work or something, you know, is going on or he's stressed about something. He's just like, you know, I really just need to like play video games for about 10 hours and then I'll probably feel a bit better. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just sit and watch you play video games. If you don't mind me sitting here with my laptop, checking emails. And he's like, all right, cool. And so it's, it's just communicating with each other, what we actually need, what we actually want and expect, you know, for even if it's just that day, you know, I think most relationships, it's like, it's, it's some of it's day to day stuff. Other times it's long-term stuff. You know, what do you really see our relationship looking like down the line? Um, And especially those conversations go, you know, obviously more as the relationship progresses. But, you know, I always have dated, like ever since my separation two years ago, I always dated with the intention of finding a long-term partner. Like that's what my intention was. And I let people know that, you know, after a few dates, I'm like, I'm looking for something long-term. I'm not looking for some wishy-washy thing or just some random thing. And that helped me sort people. And then I was able to find that now. And so um, I think the, I love just all your principles, the get real, get clear, get ready. It's really, I think, and very important for all the listeners here who are looking to have like those healthy relationships and are kind of tired of getting stuck in those relationships that are, you know, just really not healthy. <laughs> like just those toxic exactly. things. We all know the toxic things we're talking about, uh, but there's a lot of toxic things that um, 
end up happening in relationships and, and hopefully just have, I mean, even just having the clarity of what you really want, I think is a big first step for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, so I would love for you to talk about the relationship, like, or I guess the correlation between relationships and your mental health. Um, personally, I go to therapy. Um, I have a new therapist that I'm starting with um, next week that I'm super excited about. And I really believe that it's important for both partners to be in therapy. Um, I do believe that every person has some sort of wounds. Um, so I'm a very pro-therapy person. Um, so I'd love to know, you know what your take is on relationships and mental health and how we take care of our mental health and relationships. I would love to just know what your thoughts are. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to share these, you know, this. So I would even say that, you know, to me, there's a ladder. So I really believe that the bottom of the ladder is your, your emotional body, Mm -hmm. right? So you have feelings and, you know, you have feelings that get triggered through something that you went through from childhood. And I really believe that's where it comes from. Because even if it's something that happened to you in a past relationship, that trigger has come from something earlier than that. So I believe the latter starts with your emotional part, your feelings, your intuition, your body, and then it goes to your physical body, right? If you don't heal from the emotional feelings, they will be transferred into your physical body because your emotions themselves have a body and then they go into the physical where you start demonstrating or you start exhibiting physical symptoms of, you know, dis-ease, being unhealthy, you know, gaining weight, losing too much weight. Um, feeling just out of it, drained, right? Because when you're hurting and you're sad and you're suppressing these feelings, they will affect you in a physical way. Because I really believe what you suppress will resurrect. I really believe when you push things down, they will come back up, they they will show you a new life and they will show up until you deal with them. So after you go from the emotional part, you go to the physical, the manifestation that I explained. And then if you don't deal with it from the physical, it goes straight to the mental. It goes into your head. You start getting migraines. You start, you know, getting irritable. You you start lashing out or you start becoming extremely stubborn. And I know that's funny. And people think, well, you become stubborn. That's what happens. No, it's a way that you start fighting with people that could be helping you. It's a way that you engage. It's the way you protect yourself. It's the way you react. And these mm-hmm. are the things that I see in relationships when people don't heal trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their response changes. Like the like it just like bubbles up and it gets inside of their head and then they just kind of and I've done this before where it's just like almost like an explosion happens and um, or a meltdown happens and it's if I'm not working on what that response is going to be and doing it in a healthy way because you can still I think it is like being able to explain what your needs are in a healthy way rather than a toxic way that's, I mean, and obviously it's, it's exasperated by society. Like, I mean, we see it all on TV and the movies and it's like, oh, every romantic movie, there's all these big fights and everything's like super gigantic. Um, but like how we can do that in a way where it's like we can feel it starting to bubble up and then how can we, you know, tame that a little bit, I guess. Yeah. So, so I'm going to get into the taming. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So when I see this happen, um, people who are high achieving, right, um, high performance who are very successful, you will not see this in public. Mm. It will not happen. You will see this in private. Mm-hmm. See it with the spouse, with their partner, you know, um, and I'll even say that when you get to the part of the mental health and you're being irritable, the way people deal with it is lashing out, Drugs, alcohol, 
sex, mm-hmm. you know, um, being cruel, being physically abusive. Um, and also there's the part where if you are the person that's dealing with this, you allow a partner to do those things. You're not saying, Hey, come do this to me. Let me be very clear, but you are susceptible, um, to people that enable and put more cuts or slashes on the wounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. You go to that space because there are some people who don't just des- feel like they don't deserve their greatness. There's people that think that they need to relive things that happened with their parents. And I'm going to go into that right now, but I'm saying that when it gets to the mental part and I'm saying it gets to the brain, it goes from your heart to your whole physique to your brain. Your brain is where you fight it the most where like, I actually remember a client that said, well, I'm mentally strong. And he saw his mother be abused by his father and he heard all the noises and everything. So he was, I'm mentally strong. So I didn't let that take me over. I didn't let, so he usually, he, not usually, he made his brain so strong that he like blocked it out, but he Mm -hmm. didn't block it out. He was in a, he was an excessive drinker and doing drugs Mm -hmm. and engaging in a lot of, you know, sex. And he was reliving the relationship that his parents had by being an emotionally abusive partner. So he wasn't physically abusive. He was emotionally. He liked to play the games. He was a narcissist. He would never want to admit the title. But I was like, okay, so you're experiencing narcissistic tendencies. I see this in you. Like, what's going on here? And, you know, we worked through those things and helped him get where he needed to be. But he didn't even realize he was adopting those behaviors. But he had a good heart, even though he was going through that. And people will say, narcissists don't have a heart. And I'm going to say, well, when people don't want to admit something's going on with them, then you'll never see their heart. But something has to hit a person for them want to change. You change by way, based on what you feel, not what you know. So if you feel something, that's going to make you make more of a change than something that you think. So mm-hmm. that's a person that chose to go in there. I didn't put a label on him. I said, you're, you're, you're showing these, you're exhibiting these behaviors. Mm-hmm. I'm not a labeler. I don't believe in that. So yeah. for me, it's just like, okay, like, let's look at how unhealthy this really is when you're saying you don't want to do this. And, um, you know, you learn to work through those things and, and we'll continue to work through them because it's a lot of work over the years that he had to let go of a lot of things. But going into what you can do and what you look at, this is what I do with my clients when we do love breakthrough. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing I look at is who taught you how to love? Okay. Mm-hmm. Who taught you? And we're going to talk about how you learn how to love today. And it's literally looking at what is your, it's like a love blueprint. So mm-hmm. we're going to go into the breakthrough. So what the first thing you see is, you know, what was the example of love you saw growing up? Mm-hmm. You didn't see. So there's the way you saw your parents interacting, if you saw them both or you saw your guardians, because not everyone is raised by their parents. So whoever were your caretakers what was the relationship you saw them have with another romantic partner? Even if that relationship wasn't committed, it doesn't need to be, it just needs to be someone's presence. So were they loving, were they giving, or were they settling, or were they with someone that was abusive or someone that was cold? Did they ever, did they not see each other and they were all just working and they were more providers? Were your parents more hardcore with each other? Was there affection? You got to look at all of this. Then you look at, how they treated you individually, right? You see how they interacted with each other and how did you receive love from both of them individually? 
Okay. So once you start to see, okay, my mom worked her ass off and she was, you know, she wasn't affectionate. She, you know, wasn't hugging any of us. She was always hard on us. And, you know, and so I just knew that love was being tough on people. You know, um, love was me having to be strong for others. I couldn't, you know, I didn't get nurturing. Love isn't nurturing. Okay. But you could also be a person that really needs nurturing, even though you were raised that way, but that's what was missing. But you just learned to be tough. That's like your love language per se, like your love style is what I'd like to say. Your love style is toughness, right? And then maybe your father or the, you know, the male guardian, if there was even a male guardian at all, right? If there wasn't anyone, we start creating stories about that. We, if they weren't there, we're constantly looking for people or engaging in relationships because that person wasn't there. So you chase and pursue love because you are trying to show them I'm enough. You didn't have to go. I'm, you know, like I can show you how great I am. I can prove that you can love me. You're trying to prove yourself consistently. So there's you choosing partners based on those two things. But at the same time, as you're trying to prove, you still can have a coldness to you because of what you learned from your mother, or you can be really nurturing while you're trying to prove that love, right? Because you could have went the other route. You knew you needed the nurturing. So you went overboard with it. And then the last piece is you adopt love patterns outside of your family. Like you kind of all like, all right, you know, I don't like any of this shit. <laughs> you know, I'm not down with any of this and I'm going to fight really hard to create my own love language, my own love style. And you do your best and you continue to do your best. But the issue is you really don't know how to do that yet because imitation is not necessarily going to get you the authentic love that you want or the love you have for yourself because you weren't necessarily taught how to love yourself. So you unconsciously adopt those things and those that's your love example. And then you go from there to the love identity, depending how you feel, you can feel strong. You could say, I want love, but I feel like, you know, um, I saw my mom be rejected or my mom not have someone. So, you know, I think I can't get love. I can't get love. And the story you adopt from that, which is the last piece is, you know, I want love, but love means abandonment. If I fall in love, someone's going to leave me, right? Because the story was they didn't receive love, the person left. And then you go into adopting the identity that I have to work for love. You know, I have to work really hard for love. Because if I don't work really hard from it, so for it, someone's going to leave me. They're going to abandon me. Or oh, the other person is, if you have a sibling, because two kids in the same house will have a different story. I kid you not. Mm -hmm. They will have a completely different story mm -hmm. about what they learned growing up. So they could be like, I'm never going to fall in love. Love means being alone. Love means pain. Love means being broke. And I don't want to be broke. So I'm going to work my ass off. And I'm going to be on my own. And when love shows up, they reject it. They show cold, hard, and it could be the most sweetest person loving on them. They do not know how to receive it because they don't recognize what the hell that is. And it feels unsafe. It feels unsafe to receive love. Mm. You, saw, you got to work your ass off to get love. I'm like, love, that's, love isn't something easy. Love is difficult. And they mm. will adopt it. So you have the example from what you saw. Like, these are the examples. Then you determine an identity. Like, I'm not lovable. I'm difficult. Um, you know, that's why, you know, they're dif I'm difficult. And the story is, people always leave me. 
Uh, when you love someone, they leave you. Love means abandonment. Love means poverty. You know, um, love means having to be weak so they could shine. That's a whole other story. There are other people that are really like, I saw that when you show up authentically, somebody will diminish you. If you don't behave small, you will not receive love. If you behave big, you will be unlovable. Mm. There's so many things we can determine from the love example plus the love identity, which equals the love story. Now notice how this story isn't magical, right? Mm. Like, this is not a magical story. So when people say like, oh, you're gonna help me unravel my heartbreaks to rewrite my love story, I'm like, yeah, but when we figure out your first love story, this is the first love story. This is not your end. This is not the book of love. This is the first chapter and we're doing everything we can to revise, revamp, and replenish and reignite this chapter of your life. You really have to look at what those are. And as we do this, it gets you start getting protective. Mm-hmm. So what people look at is, okay, so you chose this story. You mm-hmm. chose love is abandonment. I'm on, you know, love means people always leave. Love means poverty. Let's look at what are the underlying agreements that you have chosen that are protecting you from receiving the love you want? Because these helped you to an extent, right? Mm-hmm. Leave those things. You're like, I'm going to work my butt off and not be poor. I'm going to be wealthy. So I'm going to work to be wealthy. The, you know, I'm going to work to not be abandoned. I'm going to be self-sufficient, right? Um, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to figure that out. But in the process of loving yourself, you're still rejecting love. You mm. reject the kind of love you want because even high-performing women will reject the men that are really there to love them and they will take on the men that are showing up like their father or like their mother or like their brother. And I'm telling mm. you, never talk about this. Your sibling is your first partner. Okay. Mm. And if you have more than one, whoa. So like I've noticed that it's not always the father. It's a lot of the time, the brother, you know, um, and it could be the sister because your sibling is the first person you co-create with. They're around your age. A lot of the time, if they're not, but they're still the person on your level when you're growing up. And on a lot of cultures of color, women are taught that you serve your brother, right? You serve the men in the house, not just your dad. Your dad is a certain, you know, hierarchy. It's not always, but your brother is like your husband. And I'm not talking about sex. Let me be very clear. I'm not talking about incest. I'm talking about like, he doesn't cook, he doesn't clean. But in Latina culture, a lot of the time we're taught to do that. And even if you're not, because I have clients that are Indian and they're like, well, I was taught to like do everything for my brother, you know? And, and I'm talking about high performing women, Okay, women that are wealthy, women that have, you know, their life together, but they were taught to pick partners where they had to treat them like projects. I'm like, your, your, your boyfriend and your love interest is not your business project. Yeah. Like, it is not your job to funnel him out. <laughs> it is not your job to funnel his career, funnel his life. He needs to handle himself and you need to give him the space to do that so he could show up for you. But that's if he's your partner. But if he's someone you're dating, you are not responsible for that. And they get drained. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I used to say in one of the workshops I taught, um, how to track the love you desire now, was like, are you tired of dating, you know, men that feel like you're, you know, in a, in a struggling startup? You feel like you're, you have so much faith in it because women are investors. All the women that I work with, they self-invest. 
and they invest in the things that they love. So if they are in a relationship, they're invested in that. And even in my story, I was so invested. That's why it hurt so hard. It was like you, it's like you invested all your money in a startup and then it crashed and you were like, holy shit. You know, you put your heart, your soul into this project <laughs> and then like, then it crashes and you're like, I was holding it all up on my own. Why was I doing that? Like you, mm-hmm. it's insane, but, but it's the truth. You know, we look at, we invest too much. We invest too much where we're not giving the other person the space to step up because if you give the person the space to step up, you will see them for who they really are. And that will determine if you should keep staying there, if you should, if you should keep investing, but and there needs to be reciprocity in the relationship. Absolutely. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense, especially in households that are, you know, in Latina households, I know, especially, you know, it's kind of like the brother is almost like exalted, like he's a prince. And then the woman is like the slave, the girl or daughters are like the slave drivers who have to keep the house all clean and do the laundry. And like, it's like, it's just taught that way, you know? And it's like, why is my brother just sitting on the couch doing nothing, you know? Like, and so it's, it can create that weird dynamic. And I've, I've noticed that in myself that um, over the years, I ended up dating people who were similar to one of my brothers um, because I didn't have a father. My mom was a single mother. Um, and so I ended up dating guys who had similar personality types as my brother or similar mannerisms or behaviors as mm-hmm. my brother. And luckily my relationship with my brother was, isn't that bad. Like I have a pretty good relationship with, with my one brother. So it's not a necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I do see how that could be really bad if you're raised in a home where it's like, you know, your brother can do no wrong, you know, and then so we think, oh, our boyfriend can do no wrong, you know, even if they are doing things wrong, and they're, you know, cheating on you or something. um, We still are just like, oh, but, you know, I love him, you know, like as if that was a sibling or something rather than like, oh, that's, you know, that's my boyfriend, he's supposed to respect me. Yeah, he's supposed Uh, to respect you and be loyal. And even getting into the part where I've noticed this across the board, like I literally, it, like it's there's prominent in old school Latino culture, and I see it still. But I will say across the board, that applied for women of all ethnicities. There was always this letting them slide, um, and I know a lot of men that don't even agree with that. And it's you know something that really needs to change with the way we choose to show up in our relationships because we can't break their cycles of the way they were raised. We can only look at how we were raised and choose to be different, you know? And that's what I want women to understand that you get to be empowered because you're powerful. Look at all the great things you're doing in the world and in your business, really looking at how, oh, okay, I can recognize when this person is used to having a woman do everything for them. I don't feel I'm that kind of woman. I'm the kind of woman that will support you as you continue to support me as well versus me taking on this role as someone that you're just dating or as your girlfriend and you're just kind of like sitting back and like whatever. And I get that there are things we agree to in relationships, but I'm noticing that they have not agreed to those things, but they are afraid. All women, I'm kidding you not, are afraid of rocking the boat. It's yeah. going so well. I feel like we're going to get closer to where I want to be with him. You know, so it's all this, I don't want to upset him. Mm. You know, um, I don't want to shift things. I like things w- the way they are. I'm like, well, don't you want a relationship? Yeah, but I don't want to make him mad and then he changes his mind. So mm. there's a lot of sitting on, like, there's a lot of walking on eggshells. There's mm. a lot of, like, let me fall back and, and, and cooperate. And I'm telling you that this is where 
all women, like across the board, like, and I'm like, wow, like, why are we this powerful? And we're worried about the rejection because of our investment, right? It's, but it's like, you gotta be able to walk away. The most powerful thing we can do as women is like, you know what? When you create your love values and your love standards, and within that, there's more we do. We do non-negotiables and they're realistic, characteristic non-negotiables. They're not like, does he make seven figures? Does he have this house? It's none of that crap. It's really looking at who the hell do you want to wake up next to for the rest of your life? You know, who do you want to be there when you're sick? Who do you want to be there when you want to be celebrated? You go into the deeper parts of that. When you start to honor your love values and standards, those that is literally how you create a real authentic, intuitive boundary. And you learn to honor that boundary. So it's, re- it's more practical for you versus having to dig too hard when you're dating. Well, wait a second, this is my standard. He's not respecting it. That's not a good thing because someone who cares about you is going to respect your standard. And that's also going to be how you teach people how to treat you as you focus on yourself and honor your love values and standards. You create this solid boundary for yourself as a woman, as a person, that you know clear who you are and how you want to be treated and what you'll tolerate and you won't. And mm. you do that, then you have the power to walk away. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I, that's so powerful. Every single thing that you just said right there is so amazing. And I feel people need to work with you and get on a breakthrough session with you. So if you love Lisa, go to lisatalkslove.com slash love breakthrough and you can sign up to get a breakthrough session with her. Thank you so much for all of this information. I know this is going kind of long, but we can also no, do it. We can do a part two sometime. Yes, um, so where can people find you, connect with you? Because you have such great content out in the world. I really want everybody to be able to get in touch with you. Thank you. They can also follow me on Instagram at Lisa Talks Love. You can follow me there. And like, you know, you said already, lisatalkslove.com forward slash love breakthrough. If you're ready to have the right support to really help you do the deep dive, to really get ready for that love that you desire from a place of self-value. Amazing. Thank you again so much, Lisa. You're incredible. Thanks for being such an awesome friend and hopping on here with me. Um, And if you are someone who is looking for the support and a community of entrepreneurs who are going through the similar things than you are, then head on over to bravevisibility.com. Over there, you can join our Patreon community and you can subscribe to our podcast and make sure that you give us a super awesome review if you love the content that we have here thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode thank you for lending us your ears please subscribe rate and leave a review so we know we're not talking to ourselves if you love this episode and would like to dive deeper into healing your mind body and soul make sure to check out bravevisibility.com forward slash circle to join our membership Every month, we'll provide you with new trainings and resources on maintaining a healthy mind and most of all, a safe space to share and grow. Go to bravevisibility.com forward slash circle where you can have full access for $20 a month. Remember to use hashtag bravevisibility when sharing this episode online. Follow us on social media at bravevisibility and catch us on the next episode. 
Till then, live bravely.